As Christian believers, we can sometimes kid ourselves into thinking that we can serve two masters. We can love and live for wealth and possessions over here, while at the same time serving the Lord, kind of on our own terms, over here. We need to choose where our ultimate allegiance lies. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue our message called Investing Wisely. And Jonathan, obviously, we are to steward or manage the resources, the material wealth, and the time that God has given to us. But yet, at the same time, we do need to live in this world. We do have bills to pay and families to care for, and we do have obligations, even outside of the church, that will take our time. So help us think through maybe a principle or two, maybe uh, something that you ask yourself as you decide where you're going to be doing your investing, whether it be time or money. Well, sometimes we can get the impression, I think, that you know the Christian faith you know, denies material reality or the importance of material things. Sometimes that impression can be given. That couldn't be further from the truth. The Christian Bible presents God as creator of this world, and he he made us physical beings, calls us to live faithfully within this world. So the Bible doesn't pretend that that material things are unimportant or that we don't need to have a place to live or food to eat or even that we shouldn't enjoy the things of this world that God has created. All of that is significant, and the Bible is, is clear about those things. But at the same time, Jesus calls us not to be placing our ultimate treasure, our ultimate allegiance, making our greatest investment in the things of this world, but in the things of his kingdom, which will last forever. And so how do we navigate that in a practical way if we're Christian believers? Well, there's not a, you know, a, a one-size-fits-all answer for that, but I think Jesus would point us to the matter of priority. Where do you start? What is first? And one thing that believers often find helpful and I think this is biblical as well, and we could think about biblical principles with it, but to make some decisions about our finance that involve setting apart money for gospel work at the beginning of our budgeting process and not at the end, because I don't know what it's like with you and in your household, but if you wait until the end of the month or the end of the year, there might not be a whole lot left, but we set priorities, and and for the believer, we we begin with the priority of the kingdom and build other things and other priorities around that. And that that can be very, very helpful. Absolutely. And we're going to see even more as we open God's Word together. If you have a Bible handy, join us in Matthew chapter 6 as we're looking at verses 19 to 34 today and continuing our message, Investing Wisely. Here is Jonathan. Perhaps some here have had the experience of trying to work two different jobs at one time, two part-time gigs to try and make ends meet. Maybe a number here are actually doing that even now. It's pretty hard work. I remember trying that myself one summer when I was a university student. I had two different part-time opportunities come my way, working for two different people, and it seemed like a great chance that summer to have plenty of work and to be able to save up lots for university. But of course, the two employers ended up needing me at the same time, and both had urgent demands, urgent needs. And in the end, I just had to choose who I would prioritize, who would get my time first, whose needs I would put ahead of the other. I somehow managed this juggling act for a few weeks and didn't get fired from either job, but it was pretty stressful. And I remember at the end of that summer promising myself I would never try and do that again, 
it was just too hard to have those divided loyalties. Now, as Christian believers, we can sometimes kid ourselves into thinking that we can serve two masters. We can love and live for wealth and possessions over here, while at the same time serving the Lord, kind of on our own terms, over here. But Jesus tells us what is obviously true, what we should know already. We need to choose where our ultimate allegiance lies. Our love and our allegiance will only grow toward the thing or the person we serve, and the other is just going to diminish. And at the end of the day, in the final accounting, we will love the one and we will hate the other, says Jesus. I expect many of us could think of examples of believers we know who've tried to serve and love both God and money, and who over time have ended up loving money and turning their back on the Lord. I wonder if you know people who have done that. Perhaps for some here this morning, if you are honest with yourself, you can see that even you today are heading down that road, and it's a dangerous road. And if that's so, if that's you even today, the Lord through his word does call you to choose, doesn't he? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to love? Is it going to be the Lord or is it going to be the things of this world? Well, what's it going to look like for each of us to love the Lord first, to have him and not money as our master and our first love? Will it mean taking a vow of poverty, giving away our savings, selling our homes, auctioning off all our possessions? Well, it could mean that, and for some of us, maybe it would be good and right to simplify our lives and our lifestyle, to get rid of some possessions. But I don't think that's necessarily the point here in every case. Remember, money and things are not evil, although the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. No, things aren't evil in and of themselves. They're part of God's good creation, and we receive his good gifts to us just as that, as gifts from a loving father and a wise creator. Of course, Scripture calls us to steward our possessions in such a way that we're able to provide for those around us, for the needs of our family. Earlier in 1 Timothy in chapter 5, actually, Paul says that if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the point isn't that Christians should have no possessions and make no provision for the future. Jesus isn't telling us to despise material things and to live ascetic lives, lives of poverty. He's not doing that, but he is calling us to examine where our treasure is, to examine our hearts soberly and ask that question, who is our master? What is our master? Who do we love? What do we love? At the end of the day, are we living for things or are we living for the Lord and using things as tools for his service? What motivates and drives us as we allocate our time and our energy? Is it honestly asking the Lord where we can serve him most effectively and further the cause of the gospel most usefully? Or are we always really asking, how can I maximize my net worth? How can I improve my standard of living? What motivates and what drives our financial decision-making? Is it ultimately a God-honoring stewardship of the things he has entrusted to us? Asking how we can be faithful in using what the Lord has entrusted to us most effectively for his service and for the service of his people? Or ultimately, is it a self-serving instinct toward accumulation? How can I further my comforts, increase my wealth, gather more resources to myself? 
Those are searching questions for each one of us. And in a wealthy society like ours, we should feel the challenge of these verses strongly. It's worth saying, I think, that the state of our hearts on these questions won't simply be revealed by whether we're rich or whether we're poor or whether we're somewhere in between. I think it's perfectly possible for us to be hard up financially, but to be treasuring wealth, longing for wealth, striving for wealth, serving money with all our hearts. And it's perfectly possible as well to be entrusted with wealth, but to be using that wealth wholeheartedly in service of the Lord. Being entrusted with wealth is, of course, a big challenge, and it carries temptation, and it carries responsibility before the Lord. But the Lord can and does enable some of his people to be good stewards of significant resources and to use those resources faithfully as tools for the kingdom. So whatever our particular situation, let me ask you as I ask myself, where's your treasure? Who is your master today? We're about to move on, but I just want to mention the intriguing but difficult little section in verses 22 and 23. The commentators really struggle with these verses and often don't quite know what Jesus means here. Just notice them with me again. The eye is the lamp of the body, says Jesus. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, they are intriguing words, and I'm not 100% sure what Jesus means here, but here's what I think he means. Jesus is here talking about the focus of our lives and the focus of our hearts. He's saying that we need to be careful what we set our eyes upon. Looking back to verses 19 to 21, we need to be careful what is the treasure we set our eyes upon. We need to be careful what we love and we long for and we fix our eyes and the eyes of our hearts upon. And and looking forward to verse 22, we need to be careful, uh, sorry, to verse 24, we need to be careful which master we set our eyes upon. Wherever we focus our eyes, that will then set the direction of our hearts and our lives. If the direction of our eyes is set on the wrong treasure, the wrong master, our whole body, our whole being will be full of darkness, says Jesus our whole being is going to be affected. Well, invest wisely, says Jesus. That's his first instruction when it comes to money. And his second one is this, avoid worry, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, we're all wired a little differently, and some of us will be more inclined to worry than others of us are. But if we are in any way given to to worry, any way inclined to worry, finances and financial security will almost certainly be an area where we are tempted to worry. Finances are reportedly, hands down, the leading cause for worry for Canadians. A, A survey carried out by Ledger in 2014 found that 42% of Canadians ranked money as their greatest source of stress. 87% regret financial decisions they've made. 40% of men, 51% of women lose sleep over money. If those figures bear any resemblance to the truth, and I'm sure that they do, ours is a society gripped by financial anxiety. But against such a backdrop, against such a reality, Jesus insists that his people, members of his new society, his kingdom, are not to worry about money. 
Set that anxiety aside, just relax, says Jesus. Well, that's easier said than done, you might say. You'll notice that verse 25 begins with the word, therefore. And Jesus is linking this refusal to worry in verse 25 with the matter of who we are serving in verse 24. If our focus is on serving the Lord and not money, if that's what our lives are about, then we step away from worry and we concern ourselves with ensuring that we are serving the Lord with our whole heart and with our whole life. Now, again here, we see the wisdom of Jesus in this link. There's a link here because very often our financial worries, if we're honest, stem not from the fact that we can't afford to eat or buy clothes. They come because we've been seeking treasures and pleasures that we cannot afford. That's not true for all of us, and, and that won't be true for everyone who's concerned about finances. Some will be concerned because of unemployment or underemployment or a particular family crisis. But if we're honest, very often we get ourselves into financial difficulty simply by pursuing possessions and experiences that we cannot afford. We know that's true simply because at the present time, household debt levels in Canada are at historic highs, reaching another new record again this year. It's not that our economy is in crisis or wages have plummeted. The reality is that as a whole society, we have become accustomed to living beyond our means. A recent poll found that over half of Canadian households are living within $200 a month of not being able to pay their basic bills. We're one of the wealthiest nations on the planet, and yet we're living on the edge financially. And of course, for many, that must be because we want to enjoy the pleasures and treasures of this life, pleasures and treasures that we can't quite afford. But if we're taking seriously, as the people of God, the instruction to pursue First of all, the treasures of the kingdom, if we stop compulsively piling up the treasures of the world, we can therefore, verse 25, stop worrying about finances. It should be less of a problem if we're living within our means. Now, that's the therefore in verse 25. But now Jesus does what he did with his previous instruction, and he backs up his instruction with a number of reasons explaining why we should obey it. And the first one is there in the second half of verse 25, where Jesus says this, is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The Lord is so gracious to his creatures, even to the birds of the air. But for his image bearing, his redeemed people, those for whom he gave his son, will he not do so much more, says Jesus? And as for clothing, verse 28, if God can clothe the lilies of the field, verse 30, gone today, burn tomorrow, will he not much more clothe us? The point is that the Lord is willing and able to care for his people. And we need to trust him. We need to have faith in him. We need not to worry, says Jesus. As the psalmist says in Psalm 37 and verse 25, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. As if that weren't enough, Jesus adds two further reasons not to worry. In verse 27, he reminds us that worry is completely unproductive. It doesn't achieve a single thing. We all know that. Reportedly, 50% of people who turn to sleep 
clinics for help with insomnia say that finances have contributed to their problem. But of course, sleepless nights don't help anyone. The worry is real, but it's unproductive. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? But not only is worry unproductive, says Jesus, it is also pagan, verses 31 to 32. And here's Jesus' final reason not to worry. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The unbeliever spends their life in anxious, worried pursuit of food and clothes and material security. But Jesus says that the believer has no need, no call to live like that. Our Heavenly Father knows our needs, and He's more than able to provide for them. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called Investing Wisely, as we're taking a look today at how the Christian should think about money, our approach to money and use money, and really taking a look at some clear instructions from Jesus. If you've missed any part of today's broadcast or the previous broadcast, which is the first half of this message, you can always come to our website and listen online. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Let's get back to the message. Here is Jonathan. What's the kingdom way when it comes to money? Invest wisely, avoid worry, and finally, prioritize rightly. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Rather than pursuing earthly treasure, rather than serving money as our master, rather than worrying about money and running after food and clothing anxiously as the pagans do, here's what we are to pursue first and foremost, his kingdom and his righteousness. We are to pursue and to prioritize and to prize membership in the kingdom through faith in Jesus. And for some here this morning, I am sure that that is the basic response that you need to make to the teaching of Jesus in this passage. You have been living for money and for possessions, anxiously striving after them perhaps. And maybe this morning is highlighting for you in a new way or for the first time, the emptiness of all that. Being part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, knowing his salvation, through his work on the cross, knowing the security of being a child of our Father in heaven. That's the most valuable, the most significant, the most precious thing in all the worlds. It's greater than any material prize or pleasure. And the message of the gospel is simply this, it is yours if you will receive it by faith. Now, that's the basic step of pursuing the kingdom. But then pursuing the kingdom also means pursuing its growth and its spread, its growth in your home as you make your home a place where Jesus is honored, where his word is central, where children are taught and discipled in the faith. It means pursuing the growth of the kingdom as you share the good news with those around you, initiating gospel conversations, pursuing friendship with unbelievers that you might be able to share with them the hope that is in you. 
And pursuing God's righteousness means seeking to live out the new life that he has given you, living his way in his strength, daily battling sin, putting to death those things that displease him, and pursuing holiness and righteous living with his help. I think it's often helpful and sobering for us to consider how we will feel about our priorities at the end of our lives, looking back. I don't know if you ever think about that, but I'd, I'd encourage you to think about it if you don't. I've had the privilege in, in my role of spending time with quite a number of believers near the end of their lives. And I have to say, I have never spoken with a Christian believer who on their deathbed looks back and wished that they'd pursued more aggressively the things of this world, who wishes that they'd accumulated more money and more possessions. But I guess many of us might look back from that vantage point and think we could have used our time and our strength and our energy and our resources more wholeheartedly to pursue the kingdom and to seek after righteousness. As with each instruction, Jesus gives us a compelling reason here to obey it. In verse 33, he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. There are certain lines of work where an employer guarantees for their employees their care and protection of their family in exchange for loyalty and service. Some exemplary uh, companies have offered that over the years. They've been known for commitment to the welfare of their people, their employees, and their families kind of cradled to the grave. Traditionally, in some countries at least, the armed forces have had that kind of commitment to military families. I was speaking recently with a friend in the British Royal Air Force, and he was saying that the force still operate a policy whereby they will pay the bulk of school fees in private schools for children of service personnel to ensure that wherever the parents are posted all around the world, their children won't lose out on education. They'll have a top-notch education, and the state is going to pay for it as a mark of gratitude for what the men and women in the forces are doing. It's a huge perk, but it shows real commitment. What Jesus promises here in verse 33 isn't meant to be some kind of payback for service. He doesn't owe us anything, of course. But he's telling us that as we serve him and as we serve the kingdom and as we pursue righteousness, he'll take care of all the rest. We don't have anything to worry about. In the here and now, Jesus promises care and provision for his people as we put the kingdom first. He, he doesn't promise to make us rich. There's none of that. But he does promise to provide for our needs. We won't go hungry or homeless if we are piling up treasure in heaven. If we're turning away from worry and trusting the Father, he'll care for us and we can trust him. And so Jesus closes the subject with the sane and sober words of verse 34. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, how true that is, we all know that. But how wonderful for us people of the kingdom to trust a heavenly Father who cares for our needs, who is able to meet our needs, who's able to provide for his children, for children whose hearts and minds are fixed on things above. 
You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, and we're wrapping up our message, Investing Wisely, part of our series on the Sermon on the Mount called God's Blueprint for a New Society. Well, we're glad you've tuned in during this Christmas season, and maybe you're listening because you feel like you're searching for something this Christmas season. You're looking for meaning or hope or peace. Maybe you're wondering about this Jesus that people are celebrating this time of year, and where does he fit in this whole Christmas thing? Well, the events of the first Christmas can bring us a little light in life that we're looking for, and Jonathan has written about that in his book, Light of the World. And we'd love to send you not one, but two copies as our way of saying thank you for your financial support. One copy for you to read, one for you to give away. You can find out more or give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. Or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths and our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.